tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, Today's episode is about rituals, in a way, Uh, a ritual that we've probably all heard of, but um, one that's kind of mysterious when you get right down to it. What are we talking about? No spoilers, but stay tuned for like, I don't know, two minutes (laughs) or, or read the title of the show. Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, Ben, uh, it's me, Noel. You know, when you sent this topic over, my immediate response was, yeah, huh, I always wondered about that. What's the deal with people smashing bottles of champagne on ships? Ships and champagne. Who knew? We knew. We didn't know. And now we, we, now we knew. Now we know. You will know soon alongside our knowing. Yes, yes. Uh, Today's episode is about what's called christenings. Uh, Christenings can happen for many reasons, but this episode is specifically about the practice of christening a ship. Uh, And we have our own version of christening for every episode we record. I say we call it Casey-ing, after our super producer, Casey Pegram. Does that mean I get smashed up against the side of a ship? I haven't worked out the details yet. Well, I, I, I await the details with uh, great interest. I have devised sort of a pulley system with a hoist uh, and sort of like a, like a harness that we're going to put you in. And we're going to swing you like a human wrecking ball into the side of the SS Ridiculous History, which is a thing. I'm glad we have a ship anyway. Yeah, Uh, we've called it a ship show before. But yes, today we are talking about ships. Now, as you may remember, it's uh, we all have this image in our heads, right? Uh, A boat or a a vessel, a a ship has been built. It's complete. It's ready to slide into the briny blue. And right before it does, someone walks up to the ship, usually with great pomp and circumstance. They take a big old bottle of bubbly, usually champagne, and they smash it against the hull. Everybody cheers. And then the ship goes into the water and off to adventure on the high seas. 
but how did this get started? Where where did this come from? Where how old is this ceremony? I guess that's a good place to start. It is, and you know, it's funny. I, I just before we even get into that, I think it's really interesting that the term christening is still what's used because christening is. It's like baptism. It's like a religious term. It's what they do to babies when they, you know, dip them in the holy water in like a, a Catholic ceremony. I've heard it interchangeably. That is the same thing, right? Isn't baptizing and christening sort of the same thing? Like christening is the Catholic equivalent of a baptism? I believe that christening is part of a baptism. It's the it's the naming ceremony. It's where you give the kid a Christian name during the baptism. There you go. And when I was looking up christenings of ship videos, uh, the naming is also a big part of it. That's when they unveil the name of the ship, like the SS Ridiculous History. Uh, But yeah, it's super old. It goes back to like the Egyptians, the Greeks, and even the Romans. Uh, And it was all about calling on like their particular sea gods to protect the crews of these newly constructed ships um, because they were going out into the great unknown. And oftentimes these were very dangerous dangerous voyages. And it was all about a safe return. Um, In Greece, they would put olive branches around their heads and drink wine um, and sacrifice wine into the water as like an offering to to the gods. It was kind of a form of a of blessing um, the the vessel, right? And uh, they had uh, religious kind of shrines that were carried on board, um, various kind of little uh, trinkets that represented certain aspects of the gods. Um, and that was something you'd see on Greek and Roman ships. Uh, but this actually carried further uh, than that even into the Middle Ages, uh, this practice of carrying shrines aboard these ships. Um, they were particularly uh, located in the quarter deck. It's so just a little bit of frame of reference. The quarter deck um, would be the area uh, under the main mast where you would often see the captain standing, and that's still um, what it's called today on you know more modern naval ships um, in the United States Navy, and it still has a lot of ceremonial significance. As we know, with a lot of these old nautical terms like bosun, right? Huh? Did I get it right that time, Ben? Um, these terms have been around for a long time, as have a lot of the traditions of uh, seafaring folk. Right. A long time indeed. Uh, we mentioned the Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks, but we should also mention the Babylonians. There is a written record from Babylon dating back to the third millennium BCE that describes a process of what we would call christening today. In this case, uh, they get a little weird with it. They have some of the sacrifices that you were just talking about, Noel. They say, openings to the water I stopped. I searched for cracks and the wanting parts I fixed. Three sari of bitumen I poured over the outside. To the gods I caused oxen to be sacrificed." Maybe there's something a little lost in translation there. I think it's interesting that the writer says, I caused oxen to be sacrificed rather than I sacrificed oxen. How do you, how do you cause oxen to be sacrificed? Do you just sort of like put them in a dangerous situation? I think you probably hit them over the head with a very large hammer or axe, and that's the cause that you have brought upon them. Mm, I want something a little more Rube Goldberg-esque, but they were doing their best. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? I love the idea of Rube Goldberg-esque sacrifices, where you have like some sort of... Uh, it makes me think of this movie called Taxidermia, uh, where... Uh, spoiler alert, I guess, for a really old... Not super old, but like at least... 
10 to 15 year old art house film. The guy taxidermies himself with this insane machine that he builds. So he's able to like, you know, pull the levers and then like all this crazy stuff happens and he ends up taxidermying himself. But that is neither here nor there. And so there we are. We know in ancient history, there were tons of rituals and ceremonies that varied in their specifics, but they all had the general goal of ensuring the ship's safety at sea. However, eventually, christening went secular, which is why I think, to your point, Noel, it's it's weird that it keeps the same name for the term, because now, you know, a lot of people don't associate it with religion. But how did it go from this vast swath of religious ceremonies to a more kind of secular ritual process thing bit? Yeah, it's like we said, I mean, there were various kind of flavors of this that all had roots in, in religion, but as we see them kind of catching up to I mean, comparatively more modern religions like Judaism and Christianity, um, you saw slight changes to these rituals. Uh, for example, Christians and Jews would use wine and water um, as, as an offering kind of similar to what you would see um, as communion kind of situation where they would ask God to, to safeguard them against the the, the hazards of, of the sea. Um, and I've even seen another example. We, we, we heard about the Greeks wearing uh, wreaths of laurels or olive branches rather around their heads. And that um, green plant aspect of it is also something that survives uh, in modern christening ceremonies where you'll have like a wreath of some kind of green uh, plant that you put on the ship. And that's meant to uh, signify safe return. So, yeah, I mean, they would even call upon saints, uh, and oftentimes clergy would be involved in these christening ceremonies. Um, and then if we look at the Ottoman Empire, uh, they would um, offer up prayers to Allah, uh, and they would sacrifice live animals. And if I'm not mistaken, the earliest reference to christening or kind of blessing a ship was in ancient Greece. And that it was a reference on a stone carving that was discovered that talked about sacrificing oxen and the Vikings on the other hand, um, as we know, we've, we've debunked some Viking myths, but there still is a lot out there about them being some pretty bloodthirsty types. Uh, and this certainly speaks to that. Uh, they actually would offer human sacrifices supposedly because they, they are, their gods were, you know, kind of the, the grumpy types, and they, they needed to give them a little extra something to calm those, uh, those seas. Oh, whenever I hear about Vikings and ships, I think of one of the coolest, most metal pieces of mythology in Norse folklore, the Nagfar or Nagfari. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's Old Norse for nailfarer. Have you guys heard about this? It's this boat made out of entirely out of fingernails and toenails of corpses. And it Ew. comes out at Ragnarok. Yeah. Oh, man. God, I, we should just start a metal band. Anyhow, yes, you're right. It makes sense that people would have religious ceremonies before they set off into the ocean because it was such a dangerous place. It's still a very dangerous place now, but we have to remember before the days of GPS, in fact, before the days of accurate world maps, these people were literally setting off into the unknown in many cases. They needed all the help they could get. And if we fast forward to the Reformation in Europe, we see that there was a division that began between Catholic countries and the Protestants. In Catholic countries, 
people maintained what we would call the liturgical part of a christening, right? And that kind of petered out in the Protestant areas of Europe. By the 17th century, English launchings were overwhelmingly a more secular thing. If we look at, for example, the 1610 christening of the ship of the line Prince Royal, uh, then we, we see some very interesting differences between a christening in this day and age versus a christening in, say, ancient Babylon. I'm I'm setting you up for this quote because the word poop is in here twice and it makes <laughs> the nine-year-old and me delighted. Oh man, I, I'm happy to, to be a part of delighting your inner nine-year-old, Ben. Wait, that sounds weird. Yeah, that's out uh, of context. It's weird. <laughs> yep, it really is. But it's <laughs> thankfully, thankfully everyone has all the context they need to know that it's only a little bit weird. Yeah, so here's this quote. The noble prince, accompanied with the Lord Admiral and the great lords, were on the poop. <laughs> where the standing great gilt cup, gilt cup, I think it was a gilt, uh, was ready filled with wine to name the ship so soon as she had been afloat, according to ancient custom and ceremony performed at such times and heaving the standing cup overboard. His Highness then standing yet again upon the poop uh, with, a selected, ugh, with a selected company only besides the trumpeters, uh, with a great deal of expression of princely joy and with the ceremony of drinking in the standing cup through all the wine. These are very convoluted sentences, and I, and I love it. Uh, let's see. Where were we? And the ceremony of drinking in the standing cup through all the wine forwards towards the half deck and solemnly calling her by name of the Prince Royal, the trumpets sounding the while with many gracious words to me, gave the standing cup into my hands. Okay, what's all this about a standing cup, Ben? Is this is like a large cup with, with legs? The, 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 is it some kind of weird flex? Or what, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so a standing cup may be better known as a loving cup. And this is, a, just to give you the picture here, folks, a loving cup is a big, big two-handled cup. And the way people used to party at banquets back in the day, everybody, this is pretty gross to me, but it was a different time. Everybody would take this this big two-handed cup and each guest would take a drink from it and then they would pass it and someone else would drink from it. So I guess as long as you're first or second in line, it's not that gross. But a standing cup is a kind of loving cup and they're usually, uh, they're usually crafted from a fairly precious metal. Think gold, silver, etc., and when we're talking about the standing cup christening, here's what happens. A ship begins to slide down into the ocean, and then whomever's in charge, uh, I think in the case we just read, that was the Prince of Wales, that official will take a sip of wine from this big, big cup, and then they'll pour the rest of it somewhere on the ship. And often the cup is thrown over the side. Uh, and then it's like salvage rules. If you are willing to dive into the water for the cup, then it's yours. But something happens when we hit the scale of economy. So navies are growing larger and larger over time. More and more boats are being launched. Eventually, someone in the English government says, we can't keep making these enormous, expensive cups and just throwing them over the side. We got to get a net or something. That's literally what they said. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what they call like a loss leader at that point. I mean, it really is kind of a massive investment in this ceremony. And as the Navy expanded more and more, um, this became a, a ridiculous expense. And, you know, we, we know that militaries and uh, and navies aren't exactly known for their frugality a lot of times. But this was even, this was a bit much. It makes me think, the modern equivalent makes me think, remember those uh, really expensive self-heating coffee cups? That the, that the the military kept buying because they kept breaking and they had they spent like <laughs> something like several million dollars on like these self-heating coffee cups at least those were kept and keeping people's beverages warm these things were literally chucked over the side uh, it's really interesting Ben the standing cup I'm looking at images of these uh, also by the way loving cup probably my favorite Rolling Stones song off of Exile and Main Street really really good song and it's sort of like a chalice wouldn't you call it like something something of a chalice very gilded and and bejeweled, bejeweled? Yeah, who who doesn't love a good chalice? Well, I don't because I'm terrified of touching metal. But you know, to look at, I'm sure it's it's fun for people. <laughs> what about a bone chalice, Ben? Would you would you would you hang with a bone chalice? Dope. Yeah, I'd put it on mm-hmm. my fingernail ship. <laughs> exactly. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino, and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. 
Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So we see this evolution, right? We see things are becoming increasingly secular. We know wine is often involved, and eventually wine becomes the beverage of choice for a time. But fast forward to the modern day, you'll notice that we typically, as a species, are using champagne. Where did that come from? Well, in 2020, we still aren't quite sure. We, we know a little bit about it. So maybe we can dive in there. Dive in, sorry. So <laughs> the United States borrowed their christening tradition from what they, what they saw people doing in England. Back in 1797, the christening of the USS Constitution did uh, involve the breaking of a bottle, but it wasn't champagne yet. It was Madeira. Have you? Is that how you say it? Have you guys ever had that? Yeah, I think it's like a dessert wine, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's super sweet, but it's something along the lines of port. It's called a fortified wine. That makes sense because my uh, a totally unrelated, one of my favorite restaurants ever, this place in London called St. John, uh, the, the chef, a guy named Fergus Henderson, you guys would love this guy if you haven't heard of him before. He's whimsical. He's famous for uh, quote unquote traditional British cooking. And this guy always has these brunch dishes that for some reason come with a glass of this wine specifically. Oh, okay. Wow. He's an interesting looking fellow. He has very rosy cheeks. I think he's been mm -hmm. drinking a lot of this wine himself over the years. And really, Harry Potter circular type glasses and mm -hmm. very fond of pinstripe suits, it would appear. I got to look more into this guy. He is a very fascinating looking gentleman. If you find uh, the time, there is a video somewhere that I can't find anymore, which is him telling people how to make mayonnaise. And he talks in these weird, like almost Seussian terms about how you have to listen to mayonnaise when it talks to you as you're making it. I just look, this is just me asking for someone to help me find that video. I've looked everywhere. I want to hear the mayonnaise. I will uh, I will take this on as a personal charge. Um but you're right, Ben. I mean, the that 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 uh christening of the USS Constitution was a really important hallmark because of not necessarily the christening fluid per se, which is a term that was used, but the breaking of a bottled spirit, right? Uh and that's sort of where we really start to see it go in this direction um, because the actual fluid, the, 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 the juice, the christening juice varied from christening to christening. Um, you would see, for example, whiskey used sometimes uh, in uh, the christenings of the USS Princeton, uh, the Raritan, or the Shamrock. Those were all uh, ships that were christened with whiskey. Um, the USS New Ironside was actually christened twice, uh, first with brandy and then with, uh, again, Madeira wine. There were also... Uh, this is interesting, too. I, I watched a video about this this morning from 
the history guy, I think is his name. He wear, he's really a, this adorable professorial looking gentleman who wears a bow tie and he has a lot of really great history videos on, on YouTube. But he was talking about how the temperance movement sort of also changed uh, the trajectory of christening because there were a lot of alcohol-free christenings. And this is earlier than that, but then you know later this, this kind of came back around again. And folks would use things like grape juice. Water was really popular. We even know about some uh, uses of holy water. Um, the USS Hartford was a ship that was christened no less than three times. Uh, and it was sprinkled with water from the very ocean that it was uh, bound for, the Atlantic, um, and also the Connecticut River, and a spring in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, and therein we find the vestiges of something called sympathetic magic. It's where you perform a ritual using objects or particular actions that are somehow symbolically associated with the thing you're trying to influence. So simply put, that means that if you have a ship that's going into the Pacific, you christen it with water from the Pacific, right? And now the ship sort of belongs to it and is of it. Uh, but all the high-minded ancient rituals aside, people were still partying. One great example of this is the christening of the USS Kentucky. Officially, this craft was supposed to be christened with spring water, but as the ship, and it's a battleship, as it actually goes into the water, the people who are watching the christening, maybe they're a little overserved or something, they get out of hand and they start bashing little bottles of bourbon against the side. So they had their own christenings. It, you know, it's a big deal. It's a party. But again, like you said, we we see all these different fluids used for christenings. How did champagne win the day? Well, first it's it's fancy. We already kind of associate champagne with celebrations, right? Back in 1890, we know that the Secretary of the Navy's granddaughter christened the Navy's first steel battleship with champagne. And there are some people who say, like, there's a great Mental Floss article about this. There are some people who conjecture that the shift to champagne may have been intentionally coinciding with the new era of steel. But I don't know about you. Personally, I think there's a stronger argument that people just felt like champagne was fancier and more important, right? You don't want to do Mad Dog. Uh, what was that terrible? What's that wine? It's like a uh, wine. Mad Dog 2020 is the stuff you're thinking of, I believe. Yes, yes, that's correct. It comes in like flavors like blueberry and uh, and 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 razzleberry and uh, and and you know any, any berry. It's all berry flavored stuff, but it really tastes like cleaning liquid. <laughs> the snozberries taste mm, like snozberries. They sure do. But you see what I'm saying? It's because champagne was a celebratory drink, you know? And we we know that there's another instance just a year later when Queen Victoria launches the HMS Royal Arthur. She also smashes a bottle of champagne against the hull. So maybe... Maybe they used champagne because there was royalty involved. We don't know for sure, but John Graves, who is the curator of ship history at the National Maritime Museum, he falls into this school of thought. Because, of course, you know, if you have the queen christening a ship that is named after royalty, 
maybe they just thought good old Atlantic Ocean water wasn't wasn't fit to do the job. Now, I know what you're thinking. Everybody who's vaguely familiar with U.S. history is saying, hey, you know, christening ships with alcohol is all well and good, but what do you do when you need to christen a ship and alcohol is illegal? Exactly. I hinted at this earlier uh, in the episode that prohibition was going to play a role in the evolution of this ritual. It's absolutely true. Uh, prohibition uh, outlawed alcohol, as we know, and therefore it wasn't something that could be publicly used in these very public ceremonies. Uh, so we started to see much more use of juices like apple cider, and also, again, water from, from the specific body of water that the ships were going to be destined for. Um, champagne did make a comeback stronger than ever with the passage of the 21st Amendment. And that really was the kind of moment that solidified it. Um, and, and it stuck around and it kind of became the go-to christening fluid. I'm going to keep using that. I love that. Uh, and Ben, you pointed out off mic um, that there is a, an alternative uh, called cava, which is something that I think neither of us were particularly familiar with, but it's a Spanish uh, bubbly wine um, that actually has a higher um, bubble content. I don't know how to say that, uh, but that's a good thing for christening because you want a higher pressure uh, in the uh, in the bottle because uh, that's going to make it more likely to break because these bottles aren't designed to break. You don't want like to accidentally you know bump your champagne bottle and have it go exploding everywhere. These things are under a lot of pressure, and that's why those corks oftentimes have that little cage thing that you have to untwist. Um, but you know, modern christenings, when you see folks do this, they even have these special little nets they put the champagne in because nobody wants to get glass in the water that's not cool especially if you're you know a responsible uh boater um so yeah you want a clean break when you smash this thing and so oftentimes what is done as well is they'll pre-score the bottle with like a glass cutter um and that is what helps it kind of break evenly and not just shatter and shoot shards of glass every which way yeah kava is much more effervescent than champagne. As you said, it's it's bubblier, but it's not technically champagne. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you may think you have anxiety, but if it's not from the anxiety region of France, it's just plain old unease. Wait, Casey, how do I pronounce anxiety in French? Anxiety. Anxiety. Ah, I was close. Uh, six out of 10. 4.5 out of 10, if we're being honest. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Noel. There is a science to this because it turns out that people actually spent thousands of years figuring out how to make bottles that don't break easily. It's sort of the point. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we know that there was, in some cases, a lot riding on the successful rupture of the bottle on the first try. It's kind of like a very high stakes high five. You don't want to miss and have to go again. Uh, in the New York Times on November 18th, 1890, we see an account of a battle cruiser for the U.S. Navy named the Maine, and it was christened in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. This is a description of that granddaughter of the Secretary of the Navy that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and this description emphasizes just how much is riding on getting this right the first try. The granddaughter in question is Alice Tracy Wilmerding. And here's the quote. <laughs> it's a great name, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Miss Wilmandine will have the precious quart bottle secured to her wrist by a short bunch of ribbons, which will serve the same purpose as a sword knot. It is of the utmost importance that the bottle be broken on the first throw, for the Blue Jackets will declare the vessel is unmanageable if she is permitted to get into the water without first being christened. It is consequently a matter of deep interest to the old shellbacks to learn that Miss Wilmerding has performed her task successfully. Blue Jackets. Shellbacks. It's a different world, man. It really is. What is a shellback? Is that some sort of fashion item? I just hope it's pronounced shellback and not like shielbach 
or Shilbo. Well, we'll probably get yelled at either way. But you know what? Every day is a shiny new penny, as Holly Fry would say, from stuff you missed in history class. Uh, there's another really great quote um, in from the, the next day's paper um, that uh, provides a little bit more detail uh, behind the christening ceremony. Um, 15,000 people on the word of the watchman as the gates swarmed about the red hull of the giant battleship on the decks of all the assembled vessels, in the upper stories and on the roofs of all the adjacent buildings. The raised platform at the point of the main's rambow was prettily draped with flags and flowers, and upon it, General Tracy and Mr. Whitney stood a party of ladies. Mm, ooh la la. Prominent among them was the secretary's granddaughter, Miss Alice Wilmerding, with her mother. Yeah, we see the, the high ritual of this, right? The high dudgeon of the whole thing. And this point-by-point -point description lets us know that this is a big deal. But when we talk about christenings, we have to we have to realize that it's still a big deal today. You know, if you get a chance to go check out the christening of a vessel, please do. You'll probably have a great time and you'll see a new iteration of a very, very old story. So let's get down to brass tacks or brass champagne bottles. All right. These all these aren't all going to work. I've seen there's I've seen brass champagne bottles before. Those really like you know, the really fancy ones on the top shelf uh, at the liquor store that are like, you know, $1500. They look brassy. I think we can go with that. All right. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, let's let's get back to the practicalities that uh we mentioned just a little bit earlier. It's it's tough to break a champagne bottle and it should be tough. Like you said, Noel, they have to stand up to enormous pressure, which means their glass is by necessity very thick. We found a great article in the BBC interviewing a guy named Mark Medownick, who is a material scientist at the King's College London, and he's the one who talks about how to prepare a champagne bottle. First, he says you want a bigger bottle because a bigger bottle is going to have a higher likelihood of carrying a natural defect. And I believe this is the same article that uh, provides the inside tip on how to kind of weaken the bottle in advance, right? Like what you were talking about, scoring it, I think. Yeah, that's right. You can use just a, a glass cutter, uh, which is, I think it's just a handheld thing that you would use to like, like if you're like a cat burglar, you know, and you wanted to like cut a hole in a window, like in the movies, uh, maybe that's with like a, a, a shard of diamond. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you could definitely, this is something that wouldn't be some kind of like massive industrial machine. And you can just kind of etch around the, the neck, uh, which I believe is the weakest point. Um, we talked a bit off mic too about the really fascinating history and uh, tradition of Sabra. Uh, which um, our, our fellow podcasters and friends Lauren Vogelbaum and Annie Reese did for a YouTube video um, back in the day when we were doing YouTube videos, which is the practice of taking a bottle of champagne and uh, cleanly hacking the, the, the top off of it with a saber. Uh, and super producer Casey Pegram actually witnessed this in person and it all has to do with, I mean, he helped make the video and it all has to do with the angle and hitting it at the perfect point of attack where it's at, at its weakest. Casey, can you speak to that just a little bit? It's been a while. So I, I, you know, I may get the details wrong here, but I seem to recall it had something to do with not cutting straight across, but slightly at an angle and getting that angle just right ensured that you would get a clean cut. The, you know, the rest of the bottle would not move. Is that correct? Ben, do you remember this? Yeah. Like you don't want to send the bottle flying. You want it right. to kind of like, you want to just like lop the top off and, you know, make a very satisfying clean cut. 
Yeah, exactly. You you need to make sure that you're holding the bottle securely or that you're maybe you have someone else holding it because uh gosh, what a classic doof if you're if you're standing there with a saber and you accidentally drop the bottle you're trying to open. You also need to make sure the bottle is chilled. You want the neck to feel frozen to the touch. That's why a lot of times you'll see somebody take the bottle out of a bucket of ice. There's also, I mean, I don't want to get us too far off topic, but there's a whole thing about the bottle's welding line and you need to you need to follow the welding lines with the blade. And it's impressive to see, right? I I have personally not subraged is that the right way to say it? I have personally not subraged a bottle yet. Have you guys? I have not, but it does seem, uh, it's super intriguing and it, it seems very satisfying because Lauren actually showed us the uh, the piece that they got to keep and it's super cleanly broken. Like it's it's like smooth on either side. And that's the thing about the, the way this relates to the, the christening. I mean, there's different ways of doing it. I think I've seen it where people hold it from the neck and literally smash the fat part of the bottle against the boat. I've seen examples where people tie the bottle to a rope because you got to remember a lot of these ships are massive and you can't get right up on them. Um, so uh, they would swing the bottle from the dock on a rope and then hit the side of it. And the way to go about that uh, is apparently to use a very rigid rope, like something more like that you would tie, um, you know, nautical lines with, as opposed to something that has flexibility. Cause if it has kind of elasticity, that'll soak up some of the, the impact that you need to actually break this, this bottle. So there you have it. Christening is an ancient tradition, and through the long game of telephone known as human history, it has transformed over time. But its roots are so very deep in our society. Also, uh, if you are a person who doesn't get super into booze, or if you're a person who doesn't want to waste champagne, you can consider a couple of other christening traditions. For instance, in Japan, instead of a bottle of champagne, people tend to use a special silver axe to cut the lines that hold the ship away from the water. So you have the ceremony, but instead of smashing a bottle, someone cuts the line, the ship goes into the water, and the ship's owner gets to keep the axe. They were never throwing it into the ocean. Dude, I love a good ceremonial axe. Why don't we rattle off a couple of extra bonus facts here at the end uh, that I quite enjoyed. Uh, in 1931, Lou Henry Hoover christened the Akron, uh, but he didn't use any kind of liquid at all. Um, he christened it with a flock of pigeons that was released to fly over the ship. So, you know, we, we think of the liquid christening as being sort of the only way it's done, but that's just not the case, as is the case with the christening of the Titanic panic or the, the lack of christening because there's sort of like a urban legend that's floated around uh, pun absolutely intended um, saying that the Titanic met its demise because it was never christened properly. But uh, Ben, as you know, um, neither were any of the other ships in the white star line. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And honestly, not every ship in the White Star Line sank, so it doesn't seem like christening was crucial to the vessels. 
However, as we've said in the past, there is a lot of superstition and folklore in the maritime world. And it is true that one of the people who broke the supports for the Titanic at, at the launch of the vessel did sustain fatal injuries while he was working. And so if you believe in certain maritime superstitions, that could be taken as a bad omen. But here's the part that this is interesting to me. Okay. Every death is a tragedy, right? Beyond words. It is interesting that at the time of the Titanic's launch and after the launch, people were looking at this death as a very bad thing when we consider that ancient quote-unquote christening ceremonies did sometimes involve human sacrifice, like the Vikings, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I guess I'd be much more likely to support, you know, sacrificing a little a little of the devil's nectar uh, rather than, you know, a human person. So I think we've come a long way. And I also support the kind of secularization of, of all of this, though it still kind of has echoes of uh, this religious ceremony. Um, you know, and the fact that it's still called a christening, I think, speaks volumes to how much staying power a lot of these uh, these rituals have. Um, but this has been an interesting one, Ben. Like I said, when you sent me this topic, I was like, huh. I've always wondered what the deal was with that. And now we know. And now you too, fellow ridiculous historians, also know what we know. Uh, and so we're, we're in the same boat. I don't know. There we go. Uh, okay. No, that was good. You, you yeah, know. We, yeah. uh, it's not I good. Liked it. it's, thank you, Ben. You're so supportive. I appreciate it. I'm going to start today by thanking you, Ben, first and foremost, for being a pal and for being supportive of my bad dad jokes and, 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 and non-punny puns and all of the, all of the things. Um, you're, you're a good guy, man, and I'm glad to be uh, on this voyage of uh, ridiculous historical discovery with you, my friend. Back at you, Noel. I also... I want the last thing I have to say about this is I love pop and circumstance. I keep trying to find a better phrase for it, but it encapsulates it. I love the ceremonies, I love the rituals, the, the superstitions. It's all very fun to me. I think we should start christening more things. When I got my newest car, I was seriously thinking, is there something I could smash against this that, you know, wouldn't hurt the car? And I couldn't come up with anything, but let us know what other things you think should be christened, or let us know what other strange christening folklore you found. And as always, thank you for listening. Noel, of course, thank you for going on a, another, uh, another strange historical voyage. And shout out, of course, to the man on the quarter deck of our podcast, super producer Casey Pegram. Huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Jonathan Strickland, that uh, that rascal of the high seas of of, uh, of Quister dumb. Um, and who else? Did I miss anybody? Oh, of course. Uh, research associate extraordinaire, Gabe Blusier. So you might be asking yourself, where can I tell you guys about my christening story? We'd love to hear it. We're all over the internet. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter, I think, uh, not just as a show, but as individuals. That's right. If you wish, you can find me on Instagram exclusively. I am at how now Noel Brown. You can follow my quarantine cooking adventures and hikes and, or my, and my kids uh, always changing hair color. And you can find me taking various strange adventures at Ben Bolin on Instagram and uh, various, I guess, Reddit calls them shower thoughts on Twitter, where I am at Ben Bolin HSW. Bon voyage, folks. We'll see you next time.
more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.